Spirit of the living God. We've come. Come to this house of worship, this place, this space to adore you. So as we are here, be working in us. As we are here, be opening our hearts to what you want us to know, what you want us to see, to who you want to make us, individually and as a church body. Open up these scriptures, God, that we might hear you. We pray it in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I'm so grateful for the musicians and the singers and all of those folks that help us enter into worship. Um, you know, these, these moments um, come and you know, it's funny because We've talked about and, and, and joked around, what does it look like to, um, when, when is that moment when we are entering into the Advent season where we're, we're okay with hearing Christmas music, right? Like, when is that moment? Like, what, when is too soon? Um, and for, for, for me and my house, it's never too soon. <laughs> it is never too soon. I, I these, 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 these songs bring me right into these moments of really wanting to worship. And so, um, man, Christmas music is in the rounder. Um, uh, it comes on in, you know, mid-July or, you know, sometime in May, and you're like, oh, yeah, that part too, right? Um, along with Easter music as well. And so I, I, I hope that music moves you in that way as well and that you're, you're moved um, uh, this morning. Uh, welcome to Lake Avenue Church. Uh, church, we are only five days away from one of the most important days in recent history. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Star Wars Episode Nine is showing in theaters everywhere. And I get, I get it, I get it. Um, some of you could care less about that whole entire um, series. You guys could be like, look, you can have it all you want. I'm sorry, we can't be friends, but that's okay. Um, I get it. Um, this story's been unfolding over the past 42 years, and in five days, this whole kind of episode comes to a close. Man, 42 years of creating it. That, now, whether you go and you see Star Wars or not, doesn't matter to me. Uh, but you've been hearing about the story, and I think that's, that's impressive. Even in this day and age that people around, you, you have an opinion about this thing. And in, as impressive as that might be, it is nowhere near as impressive as the story of Jesus coming and being in our midst. So let me start that over. Welcome to the third Sunday of Advent. We are only 10 days away from celebrating the thing that changed the course of human history. 
Not just the past 42 years, but thousands of years, God has been moving in our midst to change you and I. That is what we get to celebrate in our songs. That is what we get to celebrate in our scripture. And I hope you've taken the opportunity to see some of the opportunities that have been provided for you here at Lake from the Advent devotionals, not only the adult one, but the family one as well. The hearing of the Gold Line concert that we had this past week, this coming concert tonight. What a great opportunity, Dwayne. I'm so excited to, to see what you've got for us. Baptism, prep class, there's so much happening that allows us to enter into this, this season of moment, this Advent season. This week we continue the prologue of John as a, as a meditation and encouragement for Advent. Advent, that moment that is set, uh, time set aside to wait, to wait for the promised Messiah the one who will set the world right, the one who will save all the people, the one. We've been looking at the passage bit by bit, and um, this Sunday I wanted to keep us all together so that if you're worshiping with us for the first time or if you're back on break or this is the, this is the time that you're engaging into Advent that I wanna catch you up real quick about where we've been. So this morning we're going to read uh, John 1, 6 through 13, but we're going to focus in on 10 through 13 and continue. So would you, if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The prologue of the book of John actually goes through verse 18, and it really needs to be seen as, as an overture, as an overture like in music, right? This, this moment where the overture gets to, to tease us a little bit about the story that's going to be told in the rest of the piece. It was created purposefully, poetically, and very, very theologically in order to get you and I excited for this story that's about to come. And I really do mean you and I. This is really meant for those who have seen the story or who have already heard about the story because the prologue in and of itself is so thick with theological language and ideas that it's really hard to grasp if you haven't heard the story. It's hard to understand if you haven't grabbed hold of the story. 
John, the writer, is giving us a preview of what the rest of his story is all about. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like the beginning scroll of Star Wars. Uh, sorry, last Star Wars reference, I'm sorry. The, the prologue of, 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 of John can be broken down like this. Verses one through five. Uh, the word and creation, right? Verses six through eight, John the Baptist who bears witness to the word. Verses nine through 13, the reactions of the world to the word. And verses 14 through 18, the church confessions of the word. That's the, the, the four pieces of the whole entire prologue of John. It's, it's the whole entire story of the gospel encapsulated in this really small space. I want to make mention uh, here that when Pastor Jeff preached last weekend, he misspoke about um, the, the verse 6. Verse 6 was in reference uh, to John the author instead of John the Baptist. He and I actually talked about this afterwards, um, and it's really easy to make that mistake when you're just sitting here kind of pitching off names and whatnot. And so um, know, know that he knows that he made that mistake, and he wanted me to tell you that he knows that he made that mistake. I think it's also really important that we're able to admit the moments that we make mistakes up here because we are fallible. The word, however, is not. John, the author, makes reference to John the Baptist as the one who bore witness to the light. And Pastor Jeff really impressed upon us last week the function of light as it relates to Jesus. The light of Christ does three things. One, light brings order out of chaos. Two, light reveals what is in our midst, what is present in our midst. And light can guide. Light can guide forward. Light can guide in a direction that you didn't think you were about to go. Light can be a guide. In short, light allows us to see. So we move into this week, we're one click forward in the prologue and every clause is just really heavy with, with purpose and prose and theology. And the light in verse nine is a great example of that. John the writer is trying to impress upon us a certain dynamic of the light. John speaks of the light as the true light. It may be better stated as the real or authentic light. And this is where English is not really helpful to us. So follow me here. If you had asked me for a steak, and I apologize for the vegans and vegetarians in the room. If you had asked me for a steak and what I gave you was a salad with no meat at all, you would say, that steak was truly what I wanted, that salad is false. You following? But what John is saying and what the word he uses here is very different. So that if you said you wanted a steak and what I gave you was a hot dog, you would say, that's not really what I wanted, but it kind of smells the same and, you know, it actually functions the same in some ways, but they're very, very different, correct? This is what 
what John the author is trying to make a point about. He's trying to make a distinction between the word as the authentic light in comparison to John the Baptist who bore witness to the light and and actually some saw as light and he would actually lead people toward the light because of, of some semblance of light within John the Baptist. So much so was John the Baptist like light that there was a cult created around John the Baptist even after Jesus arrives on the scene. So John the author is saying, hey, look, there are plenty of lights around. Jesus is the authentic light in this space, and we get to be illumined by the authentic light one that is so much brighter, one, one that is so much more significant, one that allows you to see in a way that is so much more real than any other light out there. It is a referent that also serves as a warning. So here's where we turn the corner to verse 10. He was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Sweet little Jesus boy, we did not know who you were. This is one of those moments that is meant for those who know the story, right? That sentence in and of itself doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If you don't know the story, you may, may not land the same way that it does for those who do. But don't worry, John's going to tell you the story. He, the Word, was in the world, and even though, as one writer states, it owed its existence to him, the world owed its existence to him, the world failed nevertheless to recognize him. The world did not perceive that the Creator was in their midst. The world did not perceive that the light was shining in them and for them. The world did not hear the Word. The world did not recognize Messiah in their midst. And I have to say it's very tempting in this moment to look back through history and see the disciples and say, oh, well, man, they really missed it. I'm sad for them because, you know, if, if it were me, <laughs> I'd have got it, right? Because I'm me. <laughs> Folks, we miss things all the time. We miss simple things. We miss significant things. My mind goes to all the, all the things that have happened in my world where I can't even recognize what's on my own face. The times that I've looked for my sunglasses, they're on my head, right? The times that you've spent, and I know this is true, you've spent running around the house looking for your keys and they are in your hand. So for us to believe that we are somehow better than, more experienced, more connected to Jesus than the ones who are living with the Christ, 
We are fooling ourselves, which makes it so much more important for us to make sure that we're looking out for where God is and where God is moving and how God is moving in our midst. John, the writer, is making a statement about what he is about to show us in the rest of the gospel. There will be stories upon stories about the people who would recognize Jesus and the ones who would not. There will be stories upon stories about the people that will hear the word and respond, as well as those who will not. Perceiving or seeing and hearing are two of the themes that emerge in the Gospel of John as really significant to understanding the Gospel. And if the world becomes a godless world, if we as a people become a godless people, according to John, it will be because we did not hear and respond or see and become like Jesus. Hearing and seeing are significant to John. Take hearing, for example. In John 6, we get a sense of what John is expressing in the prologue here. John chapter 6, Jesus has just finished a discourse on how he is the bread of life. Saying this, John 6, 48 says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I give you for the life of the world. The disciples' response is verse 60 says, on hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? They heard, (laughs) but they didn't necessarily understand what Jesus was talking about, even in their midst, for their sake. Hearing is really, really important in the Gospel of John, and there are more instances of hearing. But I want to talk about seeing. As hearing does not seem to be the primary revelation, hearing seems to be a kind of a precursor to, to, to revelation. I wish I could spend so much more time in that, y'all. I really do, but I've got other things. Hearing always leads to some other interaction. And as I was working through uh, the passage over the past couple weeks and coming into this week, I ended up in a book by um, Fuller Professor Marianne Thompson. And I thought I was seeing something in her writing that applied to the sermon, but it wasn't clearly stated in the writing, so I called her. <laughs> um, uh, gratefully, uh, she picked up the phone. And we had a great conversation about, um, about what was going on in, in John. And, um, and some of what I'm talking about here in this section comes out of that conversation um, with myself and Marianne. 
And this is one thing that we uh, absolutely agree upon, and, and it's this, that seeing seems to be the primary and most functional way that people are able to connect to God through Jesus and know God. Let me say that again. Seeing seems to be the primary way and most functional way that people are able to connect to God through Jesus and come to know God the Father. We, we see this at the very beginning of, of the gospel and throughout John itself. Chapter 1, verse 14, we have seen his glory. Chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but God the only one, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Other passages expressing that seeing is enough. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, how do you see the kingdom? Seeing Jesus is enough in John 14, 7 through 9. Want to see heaven opened at the end of chapter 1, verse 51. You get to the end of the book and in the revelation of the risen Christ, we have seen the Lord the disciples say to Thomas. <laughs> and Thomas says, what? Unless I see. Seeing is really important in John and in our passage. <laughs> but as Marianne said, and I thought this was really helpful, there is a difference between sight and insight. For you see, everyone in the gospel sees Jesus. They see the same things that Jesus is doing. He's changing water into wine. He's talking with the Samaritan woman. He's feeding the 5,000. He's healing multitudes of people. Everyone who was there sees what is happening in Jesus, through Jesus, around Jesus, but not everyone has the capacity to gain an accurate and deep understanding of the gospel that is happening in their midst. That's insight. the way that I want to talk about that. We are walking towards this moment of Christmas. You see the, the trees. You see the, 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 the decorations in your own house and around. You see what's happening in our midst. Yet at the same time, are we going deep enough? Are we allowing the words of Scripture, are we allowing God's Holy Spirit to engage us to a point where God is giving us insight about what He wants for us, what He wants to birth in us this Christmas? Those are the questions we should be asking ourselves. Yes, I want to celebrate Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago, but I also want to celebrate Jesus' birth right now in me today. The difference between sight and insight is discernment. The difference between sight and insight is that we are bathing ourselves and our church in prayer. The difference between sight and insight is the Holy Spirit moving in us. Insight allows us not just to recognize Jesus, but to receive Jesus. 
Here's where it becomes real. If we don't recognize or perceive what Jesus is doing in our midst, then how can we receive him? That's this passage. Insight is what moves us to the place to be able to believe in his name. It should be no surprise then that because the world did not recognize him, even when he came to his own, verse 11, his own did not receive him. Why? Because they didn't recognize him. Verse 12, yet all who did receive him, to them, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You and I are walking straight into the Christmas season. Our culture does a great job of celebrating and everyone will see the celebration, but how many will once again receive the gift that God is bringing? That gift is God's own self in a little baby in a manger that will save the world. When you and I pursue not only a vision of Jesus, but an accurate and deep understanding, we prepare ourselves to receive Jesus and all that God has to give us. We get to see the kingdom in our midst. We get to see Jesus and be moved to something new. We get to see heaven opened. We get to see the Father because of the Son and become the adopted heirs of the living God. And even more, when we see Jesus, when we put our eyes on Christ and allow God to move in us, we get to see then what Jesus sees. We get to see what Jesus sees in the way that Jesus sees, and then we get to operate in this world as one whom Jesus moves out into the world so that we can be carriers of that gospel good news. When we hear, when we hear what God is speaking into this world, we hear Jesus. <laughs> we then get to hear what Jesus hears in terms of the people that are crying out and needing God's help. We get to allow ourselves to become that compassionate response that God is wanting in this world. When we see and hear, we become seers and hearers and doers of God's word. There's a Christmas song. It's not my favorite, but I like it. Do you hear what I hear? It's a good song. 
The verbs in those songs follow on what we're talking about. The first one, do you see what I see? A star, a star shining in the night. Yeah, I see stars in the night. Ah, but did you see this one? Did you see why this one? <laughs> the difference between sight and insight. So how, how do you see, right? How do we see? We have to take an opportunity not just to pick up our Bibles and, and read a story, but we really have to study what's going on in here. How do we see? Seeing becomes those moments of prayer in which we say, you know what, you know, let me pray for you, but not just later when I'm away from you, but right now, let us see what God's going to do between us in this space right this very second. How do we see? We allow God to open our eyes to see in the way that God sees with compassion and care for everyone. For God so loved the world. We get that note really early in John, John 3, right? For God so loved the world. When we become seers and hearers of what God's doing, then we become those who love the world. I know. I don't want to. I have to be honest, right? Like, there's moments where I, I don't, I, God, I don't want to. I don't like those people. I don't think they're worthy. God, I'd rather just be around the people that think the way that I do and, and celebrate Jesus in the way that I do. But God's calling us to something greater, church. We talk about the gospel, and we talk about this moment in John. We're talking about the movement of the gospel into the world. And let it be not lost on us that if it weren't for Jesus expanding the gospel to us, we would be on the outside. How do we hear? We pray, right? God, open my ears. Let me hear what you're actually saying to me as I read my scripture, as I pray, as I listen to what you're doing in my life and around me. How do I hear? Not only do I ask for God to speak, but I ask God to get me out of the way because I always want to hear what I want to hear. When I stop hearing what I just want to hear, that's the moment that God can move in me, change me, shape me, shift me. Those moments become significant and important. Do you hear what I hear? Do you know what I know? When I see and when I hear what Jesus is doing in me and in y'all, I get to know more about who God is. This is our hope, right? 
that we're continually changed by the person of Jesus. This is the thing that causes us peace, is that Jesus continues to, to pursue us. Even in the midst of the moments where he's silent, we're waiting for Christ to come, we know that Jesus is pursuing us. That gives us peace. And in this scripture, we have joy because we can know God. We get to become children of God. We get all the rights and responsibilities of what it means to follow Jesus and become children of God Most High. There's joy in that, y'all. Those that come and adore Jesus are those who become children of God Most High. And those who received Jesus, it all began with seeing Jesus. John, the writer, is so convinced of this that he writes about it again. In 1 John 3, he says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Amen and amen.